Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. What's up? <laughs> Lance, it's so good to Shrick have you back, back on, on the, the show. Who, who? Man, I'm Lance Strickland, everybody. have not been uh, pounding the airwaves for a couple months now. I know, man. Good to have you back. That have doesn't a, mean that I've not seen my good friend Timmy Gibson. I know that's right. We've still been I, seeing each other. I can't other. go that long without seeing him. <laughs> and and a, we met a new friend. Yeah, special special uh, guest today, Jay Ashman. Yes. And Do you have uh, a nickname? Just Jay. That works. Yeah. My actual name is Jason. Everybody called me Jay. But you've never had a nickname or anything, huh? I did when I was a kid. Uh, I used to work at a cheesesteak place in Philadelphia area, and okay. uh, I'm going to imitate this guy because I cannot talk like this guy without imitating him uh-huh. right he was a half greek half italian guy the cheap place is called augie's it was infamous in my area i was gonna say that sounds like a good cheese talk <laughs> yeah, place. Dude, his dad actually uh originally owned a place called augie's it was down in the city and he moved like a little bit out in the outskirts of the city after a while okay but his dad was kind of infamous for killing somebody in his store so oh. he actually tried to he got, oh because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got robbed at gunpoint and he mm-hmm. bought a shotgun and blew the guy away Okay. So people pretty much knew not to mess around with Augie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Augie, his son, was not exactly wrapped too tight in the head, but nevertheless made a hell of a cheesesteak. And he would always sit there on the grill and he always act like he people couldn't understand what he was saying. Like he would make fun of customers, but he would do that like that hood type uh vernacular. Uh-huh. Like everything would be like is and between it like hey, hey, J yeah. hey, Bone. Look at this fizzuck and gizai. Everybody knows what he's saying. And I'm like, oh, you know what the fuck you're saying, man. You got to knock this off. <laughs> but he had that accent like a Goomba meets cocaine head. Like, hey, J-Bone, how you doing, buddy? Like that. Every, that's uh-huh. why I make name became J-Bone for a while. Okay. <laughs> and it stuck. I mean, it was the worst nickname ever, but it stuck with me for like 10 years. Really? Yeah. Even outside of? of- yeah. All my friends would come in there and they would just start calling me J-Bone. Uh-huh. And it would just... Even once in a while on Facebook, one of my old friends would still pop up. Why did he call you that? He called everybody by their first initial and bone. Interesting. Uh, so yeah. I'd be like Elbone. Yeah, he called like a guy. Elbone. T-bone. 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 Well, he had a guy come in. He was like an old biker, and he looked like like a 75-year-old Hell's Angel. He called him T-bone. Okay. Everybody was called Bone. I'm like, his mother worked there, Stella, old Greek lady. His wife worked there. Stella. Yeah. She was a fireball. Man, I, I kind of that's the kind of thing I miss about Kansas City doesn't have. I mean, we have a little bit of that, but I mean, like a two percent compared to big cities like Philadelphia right. and them. But you you got a lot of that type of diversity, and then you get a lot of like cool little Greek, you know, oh, little yeah. food spots like that. And yeah, I've even seen that in Chicago a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah. Like when I lived in New York, I used to work at a club in uh, Astoria, and it was owned by some Greek guys, and it was actually a Latin club owned by Greek guys. Okay. That was kind of a dichotomy a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it was always interesting, but they didn't know how to work with that clientele at mm. all. <laughs> <laughs> Makes for some interesting stories, I bet. Yeah. That's, that was some wild stories, like throwing people out of the club. And, you know, when you work with people who are not exactly in the, the right side of society, uh-huh. you kind of got to handle them a little differently than you do some Guido kid from uh, Long Island. Right. And I'm from the hood, so I can I know how to act. Uh-huh. So when you're throwing a guy out for doing something stupid, you got to pretty much do it with a little bit of class and respect. I see. Unless you might make a stab in the parking lot. 
Oh, I see. So I'm from you got to he's got to keep his dignity. You're saying, well, he you basically like, you know, look, man, I'm sorry, man. You got to go home. Yeah. You know, come back tomorrow night. It's all good. But tonight you got to go, brother. He's yeah. like, oh, man. I'm like, look, man, they want you to go home. Just help me out. and Walk out for me. I'll take care of you. Don't worry. Uh-huh. Basically, almost like apologizing for throwing him out. Yeah. It sounds a little bit submissive, but it's really not because yeah. you're treating him with respect. The sure. code of the street, your respect gets respect. Yeah. If you don't, once you don't give somebody respect, they're going to snap off at you. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking this guy out. He throws a bottle of water in the air. And then the owner of the club was like 50 some year old Greek guy comes over and says, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh shit. And then a riot breaks out. Oh no. And I'm like, why did you do that? It's yeah. like he was, he was almost out yeah. the door. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bottle of plastic water. It's not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. But yeah, it's always, you always have stuff like that. Ego. Yeah. Well, you know, you grow up in the burbs. You don't really understand the rules. No, of the street. Uh, no, you, you I were, don't know the rules of the street. That was like reading, uh, watching a movie to me, what he just described. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I could write a book about my time there. I, I probably should, but when where were you? So let's so before we get into all the conversation, give us a little bit of a a, a bio. And I know like what I know of you, you own a gym, Casey yes. Barbell. Uh, I just joined. I'm doing a 90 day transformation oh, yeah. uh, through your gym. You're my coach. Uh, you have a great team there. I love the gym. It's it's a meathead kind of CrossFit gym. That's what I, how I would describe it. But give us kind of a little bit of a where is it? I, I see the pictures. It looks like it's in a newer area. By that- Gillum and. Is that it's, the? It's a McGee Traffic Way. It's uh, off of Gillum, down by the new condominiums off of Gillum. Oh, okay. That's so it's actually the building is the old Hallmark bus barn. Oh. They store their employee buses at. So mm. they, the people that own it renovated the entire building for us as we wanted it. Okay. So and they paid for it all, which is pretty nice. I mean, we got a new HVAC system, new electrical, you know, redone floors, repainted walls. I mean, they redid the whole thing. It was like a brand new building. Wow. Yeah. No, it's really nice, but it's, it's not nice. Like, uh, it's not a, it's not a fitness club. No, it's a bar. It's, not, it's a barbell yeah, club. Yeah. Like, it's not a lifetime. No, you're right. not, you're not going there to socialize. You're right. going there to work out. We're, yeah. we're walking around in towels and steaming ourselves right. and, and <laughs> thinking we did a workout each we other spent with 40, the towels. since <laughs> we spent 45 minutes on the elliptical you know i, I know what you're saying I, I know i know you guys are picking on me right now <laughs> oh my gosh so yeah jay give us a little bit of the give the listeners a little bit of a background um your story and then we'll start i don't know no lance will have a ton of questions i'll oh, start sure. digging in i'll do a quick and dirty for this one uh obviously i was born in 1974 in Reading, pennsylvania which is about 45 minutes outside philadelphia Reading has a distinct distinction of being the poorest city in America for a few years. It beat out Flint, Michigan. Congratu- wow. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> woo Left Reading. Was that when you were living there? Yeah, when I was living there, it was still pretty poor. I mean, we had a lot of drug problems, gang problems. It's easy access in 95. It's like two hours from New York City, down by not close to D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia. It's a centralized location for a major drug trade, which we had. Uh, obviously some people that are listening, maybe our age, they probably heard of Reading from the Reading outlets, mm-hmm. which is, they're pretty nationally famous. Like we remember going to California when I was a kid. What is that a gang? No, Reading outlets were actually the first national outlet center. Oh, oh, gotcha. Oh, so what okay. you see now, all these like little outlet stores yeah. popping up, Reading was like the first one that did Interesting. that. Interesting. Okay. So they were all in the old mills and obviously they weren't there anymore. So they put in the outlets. So I remember, oh. I remember going to California as a kid and people saying, oh, you're from Reading? The outlets? It's like, holy shit, really? That's interesting. Huh. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So nevertheless, and the Reading Railroad from Monopoly, that's Reading. Oh, right. I was oh. like, I heard of Reading. Yeah. yeah. So that's all. Okay. Yeah. That, that, yeah. You want to you own Reading, Reading yes, uh, you Railroad do. on the map. Oh, yeah. 
that's less high, that's high money rent right there. People which is that. which is kind of ironic in that it was such a poor town. No, no, it's the, weird, isn't it? But yeah. back in the day, Reading wasn't a poor town. You know, a typical Flint story, industry left, and then town goes broke. Yeah, uh. that's how it goes. But never, man, moved to Philadelphia for a little bit. Moved to New York City. Yeah, lived there for a while. Is New York City just wild? Uh the best part about New York City is nobody gives a shit about you. Yeah, you're completely anonymous. Interesting. Yeah. You know, people from the Midwest, you know, when you go there, you think, oh, people here, you know, you acknowledge each other kind of if you walk by someone. It's kind of weird if you don't, you know, yeah. there it's not. But I but I always thought, is it because of their personality or is it no. because of just there's so many people there and they're so diverse and it's and you can't you, you'd be nodding your head all the time. There's just no way to be acknowledging people. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not just that. And people are in a hurry. They're from point. Right. It's a very doggy dog hustle city. Right. I mean, I love living there, but I would never do it again. Yeah. There's no chance in hell. I mean, the price is expensive. Uh, what do you do for a living there? Uh, Christ, combination thing. I was a bodyguard, bouncer, uh, electrician, and a personal trainer. Okay. okay. I mean, I was working a lot because you got to pay rent. Yeah. And I was, I was a well-paid electrician, but sometimes it still wasn't enough. Yeah. What What took you from Pennsylvania up to New York? Uh, that's just, you know, I mean, I, we'll probably go into that in the podcast a little bit. Because I was an ex-gang uh, member, so to speak. Mm -hmm. That's what I remember you saying that. I want to dig so into that. Yeah. Once I uh, left, I wanted a fresh start. Get okay. The hell, get the hell out of Dodge. Uh, and uh, that was a place where I could just blend in. Yeah. And Interesting. It, it worked. Yeah, yeah, let's dig into that. Yeah. So I left, went to Cleveland, Ohio for four years. I ran a gym in Cleveland, which I hated Cleveland with an absolute passion. I mean, it's better now from what my friends say, but Cleveland at the time, man, I'm like, damn. This sucks. Mm -hmm. I have, that's my first experience living in the Midwest. And it's a different culture, Midwest and East Coast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I wasn't used to that. And then. What, what was so different, though? Just the just slower, the pace. slower pace. Yeah. Slower pace and people were just yeah. different. Because it's, is it kind of Christian up there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything in the Midwest is pretty religious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I pretty much anything that's not Northeast USA or California or Washington and Oregon is pretty much a Bible belt to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Did but, you uh, have any, uh, religion or spirituality in your life? I was a kid. I was, uh, born and raised Lutheran. Uh, my parents were Catholic, but oh. they left that. I think they, uh, my mom went to Catholic school. Obviously she was in a Pennsylvania coal region Catholic school, which is kind of abusive. And, uh, so they converted Lutheranism. And I was baptized Lutheran as a kid. You know, I went to church. I was an altar boy in the church. My, I mean, honestly, my pastor back then, he was a really good man. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still hold a lot of respect for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was... Uh, Do you have a spiritual side to you? Now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's completely different than most people's. But uh, back then, the pastor that I had, he was... Uh, I didn't really know how influential he really was and what he did until I actually wrote about him like a month or so ago. Hmm. And I started digging in his biography a little differently. And I'm like, he, he was a minister in Japan for a while. Okay. And I remember his house being fulfilled with Japanese artifacts and uh -huh. stuff like that. But the stuff he did in Japan was pretty interesting. He was a pretty influential guy and he was an extremely worldly cultured, good man. His wife was amazing. What and was so, uh, what, what, what was so, what's the word I'm looking for? What, what made such a profound impact on you from him? I mean, he's just a caring individual. I mean, he actually generally cared, but you, you brought up the Japan piece. How does that play into who you think he was? Well, he was experienced more of the world, but just right in front of his face. 
And yeah. I think that's kind of critical when you're serving, say that again. When you experience more of the world and the world that's right in front of your face, where you live. Mm, yeah, I yeah. Mean, experiencing different yeah. cultures is uh, really a kind of a key to progressing your mindset. I think. Oh, hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. As you look at people yeah. that live in the Midwest, I mean, it could be anywhere really. Like even see the same thing in Long Island, where they just don't leave, and that's all they know is right in front of them. And when you experience other lifestyles, other cultures, and other races. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even other things to see, it opens you up a little bit to what else is out there. Yeah. And it allows your mind to expand educationally to take in different yeah. types of uh, viewpoints. It, it, it's, uh, let me pause this there and go on just a little bit of a side track. i uh reading a book right now and um, it's on trading. Wouldn't, won't surprise you, yeah. Timmy, but just really diving into the psychological aspect and just for Jay's perspective and others that are listening, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to get into trading was because of just, the uh, fact of how to control your mind and emotions and think <laughs> openly about things, you know, but, but what, and this may sound kind of just sim- simplistic, but it's really profound. And, and one of the things that he said was, is that, and I'll try to make it, I was talking to Michelle about it a little bit. And, and he was saying basically like, if you, if you put a trade, on, I'll talk about it in trading terms, then we'll move it over to real life. But when you put a trade on, you're you then somewhat identify with that trade like you you know if you if you if you're going to make money if the market goes down because of the position you took or it'll go up whatever the case may be everything all the information that the market is giving you back in the charts at that moment is is you're looking for that bias of that little tick down even if it's starting to go against you yeah. you start telling yourself that it's like yeah but but it looks weak it's 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 going against me right now but it looks weak until it gets out of control where you just can't handle the pain and you get out it was too late at that point other than just trying to be somewhat uh objective about what it is it's like hey i i put this on it didn't go my way i need to get out and be objective about it and and change my position or whatever the case but what i thought was profound about it was is that he went into just how we're wired as humans and how you and again this will come out a little bit fuzzy because i have not completely grasped it all myself but just this idea that when subconsciously so much of our identity is wrapped up in some things, mm-hmm. whether it's something so small as me putting on the trade, I yeah. don't want to be wrong. Right. So I'll hold that trade as it goes against me longer than I should yeah. because it's going to go up because it's going to go up or down <laughs> yeah. my way. Right. And yeah. I don't want to be wrong. So I'm, it makes me feel good when I'm right. And and then it's only at the very end, right. That you just are like, I'm wrong. Well, it's, it's too late at that point. Right. But, but he's saying that when that happens, you, your body starts to get into this mode of fear subconsciously. Mm-hmm. So you, you start to back away and you know what I mean? Yeah. All these and I started thinking about, I was like, it's really an interesting concept because, and again, this is why I say it, it may come out scattered, but maybe you guys can kind of take my thoughts and put put them together. But I was thinking about it with with marriage. You know, I was, uh, Michelle and I, we, we've been married for, uh, this is my third marriage. I was married for a short time. Um, I was married for 16 years. Then I got married for a short little nine months. And, and then... That didn't work out. I learned more about myself in that marriage than I ever did in my first one. But but then uh, date, Michelle and I dated for five years. We've been married now for two. Getting ready to go on our two inter, inter, yes. anniversary here. And um, and I was just pulling some stuff out of the laundry before we came tonight. And 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 I just and I thought, man, all the things that her and I have had to kind of like work through in this last two years, you know, because I have kids and she's got a kid and. And she's got her way of doing things. And then my, you know, and, and then you got my kids who are, you know, older and, and they're, you know, they're, they don't keep the kitchen clean or whatever is like much as like she wants them to. I mean, 
it's how you know who's going to do the dishwasher it's it's like can you leave the laundry door open on the washer so it doesn't so you know it's not just sitting in there wet with the door closed it could right. be just the smallest of things right you really have to have this kind of open mind about life and not identify with everything in order to be successful. Do you kind of see where yes. I'm going with all this? Yes. Yes. And I'm, and I'm, it's and called I, a secure attachment. You have to be secure in your attachment. Okay. Talk, yeah. Say more, say, say more. So w there's these attachment styles, you uh -huh. know, your, your uh, anxiety attachment, um, avoidant attachment, all these different attachments mm -hmm. and the secure attachment, which is the one that, that we all want to grow to be in, we can be in an argument or a disagreement, but there's trust and comfort in mm. the safety of the secure relationship. Okay. If it's insecure and we're having a fight, like, oh my God, he's gonna leave me. She's gonna leave me yeah, because right. like uh, you know, right. how are we gonna Stories come back from we start this? telling ourselves. Yes. And honestly, I, I had that issue for a while because of my trauma, where it's like uh attachment issues where I would catastrophize fights in my head where it's like I would just revert to the worst case scenario. Not like a physical fight, but no, you mean just but an like argument. Be, like between your girlfriend and yeah, wife or whatever. Yeah, okay. And it would just be catastrophizing your head where, you know, well, just fuck you. I'm going to leave or get divorced yeah. or this. And it's just like, right. I couldn't. It's it just that, the toilet paper was on the wrong way, hon. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was hard for me to separate the actual act of disagreement from taking it too personal. Okay. Yeah. And I think I, attachment issues come essentially from trauma. Uh -huh. A lot yep. of times, yeah. or some kind of other mental illness that you might have, mostly trauma, in my my opinion, or your upbringing, you yeah, know, just exactly. your, yeah, and like everything a little adds up over the years, which would happen with that. So yeah, being secure in your attachment is a good thing. That's great to have that. You know, insecure attachment is completely exact opposite, which causes all kinds of issues. Yes, because having a fight with someone disagreement doesn't mean doesn't mean the end of the world. No, right, not at all. Well, and it can be something. I think that's what was so impactful to me about this particular thing is it can be something so small, like you were saying toilet paper. Yeah. It, 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 you may, you may try to defend yourself just because you, you were just protecting, like you don't want to be wrong as right. simple as it is. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like it's just the fact that as humans, we don't want to be wrong. Right. So we're willing to, you know, fight it out or, or withdraw or whatever we over something yes. so small, I guess that's the piece that was kind of interesting to me, you know, was like, how your body goes into this certain mode and subconsciously you're 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 not even in a place to you know what i mean yeah. to like be able to kind of work through those right. types of things i just heard a study on that very topic where you take someone let's just pick something out of the air here uh weather climate change mm -hmm. so you, if you talk to you know one person that doesn't believe in it and you tell them, yeah, scientists, they're now kind of thinking that it might not be true. They're like, yep, I knew it. I knew it. Or if you say, no, it's worse than we thought, they double down on what they already think and go, no, that's not right. Well, right. we saw that. And vice versa, like literally on the other yep. side, if someone's a global warming person they and they believe uh -huh. in it and you say, actually, science has proved that it's not that bad. They're like, nope, it's right. bad. Yeah. And if they say, oh, it's worse, they're like, oh, really? Oh, you know, yeah. well, isn't we that saw, weird? We saw that play out because too much 2020 with COVID. Oh, my God. Yeah. Our, oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that was an exact example of essentially confirmation bias of people's biases. Yes. I mean, how many, I mean, we've seen it online. I mean, how many people completely act crazy over arguing about this stuff? I did it too. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. You know, and uh, 
it was just maddening at the time to see people just completely deny shit. And I'm like, God damn, guys, what the fuck? Yeah. But after a while, it's like, I guess, I guess exhausting. Yes. Oh, honestly. my gosh. Yeah. Lance and I talked a lot about Oh, that. yeah. We talked. Yeah. Oh, shit. It was All a right. Lot, so a lot of good content during that period. A lot of good time. A lot of good conversations for sure. So, okay. You're back to your story because I want to get what Lance wants to get to, which is what I want to get to about the, you know, the gang and the, the neo-Nazi story stuff. That's, that's going to be oh, fascinating. That's, that's a new angle. <laughs> right, now, right now your listener is like, what he just said? Wait, what? <laughs> this is not a made up individual. He's real people. No. Yeah, and if you could see him, which uh, you'll see the picture on Facebook, he's uh stacked. He looks like he's, he's like an Arnold Schwarzenegger looking guy with a septum but he, ring but he has he has a uh he certainly has a sophistication to him very as much well. so yeah. yeah i'll blame my mom for that she always uh my mom is my mom was a good mom she drove me nuts for a while we have a very similar personality type we're both very combative assertive we don't take any shit from anybody uh-huh. so when you combine two people like that in the same household <laughs> it, right? it made, right. it's exciting I, I respect my mom a great deal she's 74 years old as of today actually wow happy birthday oh. mom yeah she's uh still works out she really got me into working out she okay. still works out, has a pacemaker. Uh-huh. Uh, she takes care of herself. She, you, she, siblings? I have an older brother. We don't really talk too often. Okay. That's more or less on him. Okay. I wish we did, but that's his, that's his cross to bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, my mom raised me with some culture. I mm-hmm. mean, I was, like I told my psychiatrist, you know, I have ADD, mm-hmm. and I've always done really well in school. And he's like, how do you do so well in school with this severe ADD? And I'm pretty confident about a few things in my life. And one of them is I'm really fucking intelligent. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem saying that. Right. I pick up shit really well. I am well read. I can talk in a variety of subjects. I can blend in with almost any crowd. Mm-hmm. So my mom raised me that way. I mean, she culture. Was she with the divorced? Your mom and dad. My, my my dad died when I was fifteen years old. Oh, okay. he literally died so. in my arms of cancer. Oh wow. Okay. So, but when I was younger, you know, she took me to ballets, operas, Broadway plays. Uh-huh. Oh, that's cool. I played piano. When I had a spelling bee, I made like literally one spot from making national spelling bee. Wow. I got one word wrong. I didn't make a nationals, and by some, she we studied for that like obsessively. I mean, was my mom wanted the best for me. I didn't always read her methods back then. You know how kids are. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I look back at them and I'm like, man, you know, for all the stuff that I felt like I went through as a kid with her, I can never, ever say she didn't have my best interest at heart. She yeah. really did. And she was a good mom. Yeah. I mean, she had her faults and she admits them. But right now, she's like, she's like one of my best friends. We talk pretty much every day. That's Where awesome. does she live? Uh, South Carolina, North Myrtle Beach. Oh, wow. I love that area. Yeah, she actually uh, retired, sold her business, and had a house built down there. Okay. okay. She have, what was her business? Uh, she ran an all-state insurance firm. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, she uh, really did well in insurance back in the day when women really weren't in insurance. Uh-huh. So I've, I've asked before how much you have to deal with in that office back in the eighties and nineties. Right. Yeah. And Cause you were going to kick some ass. Oh, she's like, <laughs> I mean, she was the only woman in the office selling insurance. Yeah. And she was the highest in sales. Wow. So she and, had some, and she was the only one that have a college degree either, which doesn't oh, wow. really matter when it comes to insurance, but no. that's the way the business was back then. Sure. Yeah. You know, but she said she definitely had to deal with some shit for men, mm-hmm. you know? So she's very, let's, I'm not saying she's pretty feminist as far as like her viewpoints go, okay. which I'm, I'm fine with obviously. Sure. But it's like she learned, you know, how to be that way from her experiences in life. Yeah. yeah. I shouldn't take shit from anybody. 
So outside of mom or dad, who, who's, who's been the most uh, influential? There's not, even, there's not even a contact. Dad wasn't influential to me at all. I mean, I martyred him after he died because that's what people do as a kid. But I told my mom before, and I, I mean this, if like, if one parent had to die, I'm glad it wasn't her. Yeah. yeah. Because there's no fucking way right now my dad would ever be the kind of parent my mom was. Okay. There's not a chance in hell. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't, he was so emotionally unavailable that it was like hard to tell. I didn't learn anything from him. Okay. Except how to shoot a gun. So who was the most influential my male mom, figure in your life? I don't know. Male figure. I wish I knew. I, I can't answer that question. I have no idea. Yeah. Interesting. I Which mean, might be what led him down the path. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's a good let's, point. let's get into the. That's why I brought that up. I yeah. a good segue, right? <laughs> Perfect segue. Timmy's got to control me over here. He's like, oh, Lance, so get going. So yeah, tell tell us about the because that is fascinating. The the <laughs> the what? Yeah, what was your actual title? Like, what was the? Well, I was uh, I was younger. I was kind of angry at the world. Like, I've always uh, I have the capability of intense rage. And anger which i do well controlling it now you know medication does help obviously like i have bipolar so the depression gets pretty severe and my mania will manifest into anger so i get impulsive as hell but i don't have like the psychosis impulsiveness my impulsiveness is you know just like spending money but mostly it's the anger i carry some rage and i don't like it because i don't want anybody to see that so I'm very aware of it. Like I'll leave situations before I become mad. Mm-hmm. I do have a sixth sense when it comes to feeling things out because I'm extremely, I have a very high situational awareness because of my life, what I did mm-hmm. for a living too. I can kind of feel shit out before it happens. So if I'm in a bar and I've sensed some weird stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Same thing. So if I'm arguing, it's like I'm. You ready. got guys. We're going to Hobby Lobby. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Right. Let's go buy some crafts, dude. Yeah, all right. We'll, we'll sequin our hats. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're like bedazzling. What's wrong with you? <laughs> right. What the hell? That's awesome. You know, it's like, Rob Howard. Just right there, real quick. I was just thinking. I don't know if, if he told you this, but he was a bodyguard for LL Cool J. Wow. Uh, for a couple for a couple days. And he's was, a big motherfucker. Yeah, it was pretty funny because uh I got that gig. I was well in New York City, everything is security companies. Because mm. you have to be licensed and okay. insured. And you know, it's just be that one felons I mean bodyguards and bouncers for obvious fucking reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I happened to get like a gig with LL for a couple couple shows and it was like this is back when he was pretty jacked and he was he's like he's as tall as me. Okay. I was kind of surprised. Most celebrities are pretty short. Yeah. And I was like, damn, what the hell do you need a bodyguard for, dude? And he basically, like, you'll see, he goes out to stage and it was like, took his shirt off. And I swear to Christ, he could have pointed at every, any girl and been like you, and it would have been uh-huh. like blowing him on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Even me, I was like, yeah, I suck a dick. <laughs> I mean, the, guy, the guy's a fucking stud. Yeah. And he can perform and he's definitely carries a crowd. Yeah, but then yeah. backstage, he doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't do anything stupid. He's a family man. Okay, and just shooting shit about lifting with us. Mm. It was kind of cool. But then again, when I, you know how badass this guy is, he lives in the Gold Coast. A Miracle Mile, you know Billy Joel, the whole Miracle Mile shit, that song. Yeah. That's like upper part of Long Island, upper Brookville area, Manhasset, Glen Cove. We're talking like some serious money up there. Okay. He lives up there. Okay, he's from Bayshore, Long Island, which is kind of a a little bit hoodish and uh 
he had a home invasion robbery. He put the guy in the hospital with his fist. <laughs> wow. So clearly he could take care of himself. Yeah. But as a celebrity, you can't do that in the public eye because you right. will get sued. Right. Yeah. Well, and your image is tarnished and everything. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, I did a show with Pitbull, who was pretty yeah, cool. He's little. Yeah, I caught I got I got that show by calling him a chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> he's like up there, he's up to my mid chest. And yeah. I was like, my buddy's doing his work at a club in the Hamptons called the White House. And his like, name is Buddy Mac, a big fucking yoked ass brother. He's like, yo, Jay, come meet my boy Pitbull. So I'm like, come over. I'm like, Pitbull, huh? Looks at me. She has like four girls. And I'm like, why don't I just call you Chihuahua, dude? And he's like, ah, some funny shit, man. And then we asked me back for his room for a drink and his VIP area. And he's a pretty cool guy. And but I tell you what, one thing about Pitbull is kind of wild. Like they got these gigs that when they're not in the middle of making an album or doing a tour or some kind of a TV appearance, they'll do like club tours in like cities. Sure. New York, LA, Miami. Mm -hmm. And they'll get paid whatever they get paid from the club. So they usually go out and perform like four or five songs. Okay. Uh, he did like an hour and a half set. Wow. wow. And he rocked the house. I mean, I'm not a big fan of that kind of music. I mean, he's yeah. talented. Yeah. It's just yeah. not something I would I'm the buy. Same way. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, man, this guy can perform. Wow. He's a performer. Yeah. Didn't he do the Super Bowl a few years ago? I don't know. He might. I, I felt oh. like he did. It was really. I, I think you're right. Yeah, it was really, really good. So, so I guess I'm always curious just because this is obviously a different lifestyle than I grew up with, but how does one, you weren't a gangbanger? I wasn't a gangbanger. <laughs> I was probably, you know, acting like I was one you were on a golf pro. 134th street and yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like over the park up, up there, up there at the tennis courts. That's uh, right. How does one, I mean, I understand psychologically, you know, that, that why people maybe, you know, get involved in gangs and everything, but Walk us through kind of at a day-to-day -day level, like how does it happen? Since you you went through it, but it does it does it slowly happen? Do you know what you're getting involved in, or are you involved in it? And then you're kind of like, no, dude, you're part of the gang because you know we just robbed these people, and you know, or whatever. Well, how, how does it go down? It wasn't like criminal gang where we out robbing people and stuff like that. It wasn't quite like that. I mean, it wasn't, but obviously, white supremacy is not quite like that uh essentially i was an angry ass kid and uh you get so hanging out with people who are equally angry mm -hmm. and i've always said other podcasts and talking to people about this stuff and public speaking events like take an angry white kid and it's like you can easily throw him a propaganda and deflect that anger into something else mm. anger is dangerous yeah. and it can be productive when used correctly and on even to this day, I'll never be the person to say violence doesn't work. Violence sure as fuck does work. Yeah. I mean, it does. It's just. So you, you can probably resonate with the, the young man that, that did the killing up in Buffalo here just recently. Meaning well, that I mean, that's, 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 that's the scary part of shit that people were, I mean, stuff like that. Nobody ever really condoned. Well, no, but I guess my point is it, you could, you could, you could you empathize with the fact that if he's, cause we look at it and think, how does someone get to that place? His mom and I don't know anything about it really, but his mom and dad were both engineers and you know, you think it, it's not, you know, well, but if he's angry and there's a vacuum easier. there, like now you it's said, even easier because you have the internet, which radicalized people like overnight right. oh, back no. then the internet was in its infancy. So what is it about anger and, and then that vacuum? Is it the fact that that you can kind of adopt their anger about what they're like, whether well, it's think about like uh, propaganda. And if you're angry at something and you start reading biased news sources, you go to the rabbit hole. 
Uh-huh. And social media algorithm can pull you in that rabbit hole even further. But back then, you start, you know, looking at statistics, essentially, are soulless. Statistics are just numbers. Yeah. So you can find any statistic you want and justify your point of view mm-hmm. without any context behind it. And that's one way you would just start, like, realizing, oh, well, black people do this, white people don't. So clearly you're inferior or something like that. I mean, it's a very primitive way of thinking, but it's right. how you think. Yeah. And then you hang out with people like you and you start getting involved with stuff. And then it kind of snowballs from there. And before you know so it. So it was your community? Was it like your friends that kind yeah, of? Yeah. I mean, people, you make new friends and that's where you get involved in. And next thing you know, I'm, a, you know, I'm leading a group in the East Coast, you know. And, and what are you organized around? What's the mission? Uh, if you ever heard the 14 words, which I actually remember this day, which is pretty shitty. What, uh, what, what is it? Be much security existence. Wait, my security existence of our people and future for our children or something like that. So it basically like protecting your own race against okay. the Buffalo shooter or the great replacement theory they talked mm-hmm. about. That was yeah. something that was prevalent in our community for a real long time. Mm-hmm. Like uh, essentially making America with the white minority. Mm-hmm. and so what kind of it was what was the it was a uh white supremacy type gang or yeah what? it was a white it was a, skin, it was a skinhead gang okay well, was, okay i was a skinhead okay and most of the violence he ever did was against other skinhead groups it wasn't interesting yeah i mean i know people who done hate crimes don't get me wrong yeah i never did it thank christ but uh why yeah. was the, why was the against other people that believed what you guys believed oh it's a gang dude i mean every you're just looking for ways to was it I mean, territorial or just well it's mostly just people who are i mean honestly you'd be one people who are social misfits man i mean i think when people who are sane you get i mean you're you're thinking of it from a sane point of view right, right. you're a rational human being right and you gotta think irrationally for a second here mm-hmm. like nothing about gang life is rational you think it's rational because you're in it but in reality you're dealing with people who are complete outcasts who are completely screwed up they're angry they're pissed off they're social mm-hmm. misfits and you see this right in front of your face. They're violent. And the only place they feel accepted with people like that. Oh. So now you have groups, like different names, like Hammerskins, Keystone State Skinheads, Vinlanders, Volksfront, uh, all these different groups that have their own little crew. Mm-hmm. And like a biker gang, they're gonna fight with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's gonna happen. And then, like I've seen some reprehensible shit, and I've been in my share of pretty bad situations mm-hmm. and that leaves a mark on you honestly. how old were you man my my ages and dates are kind of screwy Ruff, roughly i mean uh it- i would say probably in my late very late teens early 20s okay and i got out in 2002 okay so what was the catalyst for you to, to <laughs> want to leave i just we see one too many you just start realizing this is not who i am man i wasn't raised that way yeah seeing shit going this is fucked up you see some pretty fucked up shit and then obviously the big catalyst which i talked about numerous times and keep in mind when i first started addressing this stuff publicly in 2018 is when i started really talking about it like for i didn't write about it until 2016. so 14 years i buried it mm-hmm. i mean a couple people close to me knew but it was never anything i actually addressed with therapy working through things everything it was just i buried it and lived my life I didn't rat anybody out. And this day, I still don't believe in ratting anybody out. I have a real hard code with that. 
And, and I appreciate that. Yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> just something that because I know, stole those Twinkies <laughs> that one time from <laughs> Share with me, or you're getting, you're getting I'm calling cops. But uh, the biggest thing was I was in a bar and I'm wearing like an I'm wearing an Iron Cross shirt, and it was um, our rugby was our rugby bar when I played club rugby. Mm-hmm. And the black guy came in and sits down next to me and he's like, looks at my shirt. He's like, what's that mean? And I flat out told him. I mean, I didn't really hide. I'd never been the person to hide. Even in discussion boards, I used my real name. Mm. Like a lot of people had fake name. I used my real name. Yeah. And like I didn't, I for me, I that's just my personal thing. If I'm gonna have if I'm that ball enough balls to say this shit, I gotta back it up. Mm-hmm. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's how it was. So he didn't like react badly. He just started talking about stuff. We talked about for a couple of hours about all kinds of shit, like race, politics, economics, sports. I looked at my watch and I'm like, holy shit, I got to go. I got to be up in the morning for work. I had to go home. So I left. And before I left, he shook my hand. He was like, man, you're a lot better than you think you are. Wow. And that was it. So I walked home that night and I didn't sleep. So mm-hmm. I was already having thoughts about leaving. And that was the day I decided to walk away. So you're a lot better than you think you are. Why, why was that so impactful to you? Why was that so profound? Or what, what was, like, can you describe the emotion you were feeling? I still feel the emotions today. I mean, well, because uh, I don't know if you ever heard of this guy. Maybe you didn't. But uh, he's kind of a, the father of the modern anti-racist movement, Daryl Lamont Jenkins. And... Uh, Barrel also the same thing to me in a phone call one time. Mm. And because he actually, my best friend at the time was actually an anti fascist activist, Antifa. And that's a weird friendship to have when you're a skinhead. But to this day, we still text and she keeps an eye on me and we talk here and there. Her name is Kelly. She's a lawyer now. And uh, back then, I first knew her as Tori because she wouldn't tell me her real name out of safety reasons obviously but we were friends it was but she was on one side of the fence i was on the complete other side of the fence so she's fighting people like me but we got along really well which is weird and daryl was a guy that you know was she basically helped and he's infamous in my circles infamous and is in movies he was in like movies national tv shows and shit Mm -hmm. you know one of the most prominent skinhead stories of all time so now he's on the opposite opposite side of it, though. No, Daryl was always a good guy. Okay, Daryl was always a good guy. Okay, he used to be an ex cop who turned who left the police force to become an activist, and uh, big black guy. So he had my number from you know, and he was like, he would call him once in a while and talk to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and he always said, you know, you're not like the other people. You're way too smart for this. You're better than this. It sounded like he. It sounded like there was a dormant uh, what am i trying to say it was it was like a he touched you to the core of really who you are but that you weren't touching into that side of you because you seem like someone i'm just i'm just trying to thread all of your life together you seem like someone that wants to help others or you want to be a part of something bigger you want to make a contribution you want to leave a legacy whatever you want to call it you seem like they're so when you got involved in the gang were did you feel like you were going to do that and then realized and then when maybe he said that you thought i'm not i'm not really 
getting out of this the dividends that I thought I would be leaving? Or what was the not just that, but it's like, man, you can only be around so much shit like that. Before. Yeah. I mean, yeah. going two ways, that's going to end jail or death. Right. I mean, I hate to trivialize it, but I'm just being serious. Like I can only watch, like sometimes I'll be sitting there watching a Netflix that's real dark and episode after episode, I, I just can't do it yeah. after. I mean, yes. so I can't even imagine waking up and, and, and dwelling that lifestyle every day. Oh, how definitely. that just. It's one thing to watch a TV show. Oh, when you totally. don't like that. that much hate. It just oh, dude, destroys it's you. Unbelievable. I mean, yeah. that much hate will ruin your life. Yeah. It will ruin your life. And I've watched documentaries now about that stuff where I still see people in documentaries I knew back then. And I'm like, holy shit, they're still involved in this. Mm. And it's actually kind of sad because I'm like, man, imagine 20, some 30 years of your life just being spent in hate. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine what they feel like. Imagine what they like inside. I mean, uh -huh. that's mm -hmm. on them, obviously. But in the same token, so you see that from the outside, it's like, man, that's tragic. Mm -hmm. It really is tragic. Yeah. One thing to be angry at someone and not like someone, but indiscriminate hate is unbelievably toxic that's that was going to say it's extremely toxic when when you when the when the, the black gentleman sat down in front of you and, and i'm curious would do do skinheads i mean do you have this anger toward him or is it just the concept of kind of the great replacement theory black that's what i mean some piece some of them did some of them had some real out and out hate I never so they like, wouldn't be able to have that conversation right. they wouldn't okay. have. they would have been like you know and this and that whatever right i never was like that uh, that's a good thing, honestly. That sounds like it comes from what your mom and, and, yeah. and instilled in you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was never like that kind of guy to just flip off in someone and have that irrational reaction. Uh, but I have my beliefs and I, I didn't shy away from them, mm -hmm. but I could talk about them and it's just an interesting discussion overall. But then when he ended it with that, I never got his name either, which is one thing I kind of regret. It was just, I don't know. I was kind of shocked at the end. He said that because it hit me so hard. Yeah. So you and said you went home, slept on it. I didn't what sleep. happened? I didn't sleep. I call off work the next day. And then that's when I gradually walked away. I just started like, I left the bulletin boards behind. I just okay. completely ghosted it. And, and is then, it, is it, is it okay to do that? I mean, can you, are they okay with you walking well, away? Yes and no. I mean, I had a reputation back then as being a pretty good guy in my hands. Cause you were leading a group, you said. Yeah. And, uh, like I had a couple of situations where people were like, oh shit, this guy is exactly the kind of person to fuck around with. I mean, I won't go into any details because your readers don't need to hear this shit. Yeah. But uh, I mean, listeners, I should say, sorry. But uh so I basically what happens is when you get with a certain group, same thing as a biker gang, I'm sure you're familiar with Tim, the biker culture is that you get you get patches, you get patched in after a probationary period. So I had a patch from a group and I had it on my bomber jacket. That says signifies member of that group. So when you leave the group, you're supposed to get the patch back. Okay. You know, I didn't do that. I sold it on eBay. Fascinating. And I, I was like, we're I'm keeping gonna, the patch, motherfuckers. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna burn every fucking bridge down to the ground. Cause I was like, I, I scorched earth it. I didn't just leave, I scorched earth. I didn't rat anybody, but I made sure they know I'm done. Mm -hmm. I remember I had a leader of the group that called me up and he was like, yeah, I'm going to come, come out and kill you. And I'm like, Hey, you know where I live, dude, come on out. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Have fun. With so that. you, you didn't, you weren't friends with any of them or anything after that. Like no, you cut I, mean, I cut off everybody. Interesting. Everybody. I had to make entirely new friendship base. Mm. That's tough. Yeah. I mean, I had friends when I was a kid. Don't get me wrong, but it was like, you know, when you're 
major social circles revolved around this shit. Yeah. You got to make new friends. Yeah. Did you have anybody from the outside group speaking into you like, Jay, what are you doing? Come on, man. You like, the, uh, the, yes, yes. And no, I mean, some of my old friends say that stuff too, but it didn't really ring true. Yeah. It didn't really, when you're wrapped up in your own propaganda in your head, it's the same thing with like people who are like you said earlier about global warming or mm -hmm. any kind of like identifying topic that they may emotionally right. attached to religion, whatever. Right. Rationalizing with somebody is almost impossible. That's oh. okay. He brings up a topic that you and I love talking about. And that's the, the, the thing that has, because I used to be religious and I left religion. And, uh, one of the things that was always difficult for me was to find a hardcore Bible thumper Christian to have a rational conversation with me, mm -hmm. you know, to admit, yeah, that is kind of crazy. I still believe it, but it is kind of, right. you know, they just do the double, triple down and, yep. you know, all that stuff. And so that makes sense. Yeah. And I know a couple like that, like two of my pretty good friends are actually pastors here. Okay. And it's always kind of funny when we hang out. Cause I'm like, yeah, just me and you hanging out. Definitely funny. <laughs> but uh yeah they're both they both speak at they both preach at churches and we've had some really good discussion about religion mm -hmm. and the one guy had to talk to me about like stuff he was going through mentally with his marriage and all that too and his uh he's quite he was questioning his path with the church and for some reason he sought me out for advice and i'm like you do realize that you know, i'm a satanist right and he's like yeah and i'm like all right i said so you are today yeah i mean oh. Oh yeah, I see. Well, there, I mean, there's yeah. another. I mean, honestly, I, I say Satan is a very loose term. I mean, actually, I'm a demon outer, which is a little bit different. But people, I have to explain to people too much, so I just use the word Satan because it's fucking easier. But uh, <laughs> people, they're, they're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm Methodist. And you're like, I'm Satanist. They go, uh, wait, what? But it was, <laughs> I, I know the I know the Bible pretty well. I read it, and I used to be a Christian, so I can, you know, I told myself, well, biblically, it says this and this, and you know, you know what it says. You're a goddamn pastor. Mm -hmm. so we had a good discussion about things and he's rational about things and he's you know pro-choice mm -hmm. my other pastor friends pro-choice too and it's kind of refreshing seeing that from a christian standpoint where they're yes. not wrapped by the dogma mm -hmm. and uh the jock the doctrine of religious teaching yeah you know which is a different animal than the bible sure the bible uh, discussion yesterday with a friend who's actually a minister for the church of for the satanic temple and we had met for a drink shooting some shit and i was saying well if you look at christianity in itself the old testament is the old law and where a lot of christians screw up is they don't they, they kind of forget that when jesus came he made the old testament null and void essentially mm -hmm. that he i am the new law i am the way and the new testament if you read it for in the context it's really a lot of good lessons in there yep. parables. yes oh yeah and he's jesus wasn't a bad human being honestly was, is it a perfect book? No, but it sure as shit beats the Old Testament. Right. Which is like fire and brimstone and plague and death. Right. right. Fuck those people. Open up the earth. Swallow their asses. Yeah, kill the firstborn son now. <laughs> right. So uh, it's like when he came, it was different. I said, unfortunately, the problem with modern church is the Old Testament becomes almost the law, the rule by like rules, this, that. Yeah. And it's like, eh, that's not how it is. Yeah. yeah. So we had this discussion about things and it was a pretty good discussion. But it was very few of those out there, I feel like, that are deeply embedded in a yeah. church lifestyle that can have that rational discussion, yeah. like you said. Yeah. yeah I find that lately it's it's and more and more it's rough. Yeah. 
Let, let's tie this this other conversation up a little bit just then move into some other more interesting topics that have come available on the tape but <laughs> but uh you know we talked about the fact that how you people identify with these types of things you were obviously identified did i guess i'm curious were you able to walk away from the gang and that ideology because you realized that who your identity was didn't wasn't commensurate with what their values were because you obviously had to identify a lot with them and there's probably some things you know whether it's fashion style whatever that you probably that still probably attract you to some group like that maybe a little bit and you know what i'm saying like how did your i guess my how were you able to walk away and then still maintain an identity of who you were well honestly that's an easy question to answer i didn't have my identity until recently okay what say say more i mean i mean dealing with what i've been dealing with for most of my life with the, the trauma, the relationship issues, uh, you know, tragedy, all kinds of shit, it leaves a mark and you don't really know who you are. Mm -hmm. And I had this discussion with a best-selling author. I won't tell you his name because I was kind of promised not to until his book is out, but he wrote a really well-known best-selling book about roundedness. Ra roundedness? Gr groundedness. Groundedness. Like being grounded. Yep. And he's, it's, it's a good book. I mean, I, so I emailed him about the book saying how profound it was. So he emailed back within a couple of hours and it was pretty, I was like, wow, you actually emailed back. Holy shit. <laughs> we started having discussions about things and I, next thing you know, he wants to interview me for his new book. He's working on about identity. So, because it ties into his last book about groundedness and about being present mm. and about the male struggle with identity. So we had a, like a two hour discussion about that. And, you know, even at the end, it was like I said to him, you know, it was always gonna be a part of me that's capable of intense violence. I said, and I had to be careful of that. I said, cause I understand what I can do to somebody with my fists and I don't really have an off switch. And he's like, well, why do you feel that way? And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, do you, is that what you want to feel? I'm like, no. He's like, well, you can control that. And I'm like, all right, that's a pretty damn good point. Like your identity is going to be fluid, essentially. Mm. And I was always, uh, I looked for outside things for my identity for a long time. Whether it was sports, rugby, mm -hmm. you know, Super League rugby, powerlifting, you know, whatever the fuck it was, mm -hmm. something, something. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until like, honestly, when my re most recent ex and I got divorced, when I made the decision to like really find out who the hell I am. Mm -hmm. and that was that was really recently mm -hmm. and you know 40 some 47 years old finding that out you know i just had a lot of life where it was spent in chaos i mean strict straight chaos mm -hmm. like chaotic relationships like homelessness you know violence all kinds of shit. you don't really find out who you are until you find that peace somehow mm -hmm. so i had to work on that and you you were obviously finding out who you were along the path but yeah. you but you didn't know like it, it seemed like at 47 it kind of you had it's like that you put the, the lenses on and you're able yeah. to see it well plus i got diagnosed properly with my mental afflictions and i was able to get medicated and because of that i was able to control the emotions better and the ups and downs aren't as profound as they were before and that was able to find some clarity and i've been doing a lot more self-work with therapy taking time for myself doing what I want to do, what makes me happy. And it's kind of eye-opening, mm -hmm. you know, like 
meeting Tim and you guys was an example of that where it was like putting myself out to meet new people. Okay. And not just focusing on my career and life goals like that. Like I'm going to work, 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 work. We're making sure I take time for self-care because I'm notorious for like going so hard. I hit a wall yeah. and then I just like shut down. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't keep doing it because I start getting suicidal. Mm. So I'm like, it's got to stop. So I made an effort to stop it. And it's like, it's been pretty damn eye-opening and pretty awesome so far, honestly. And it's kind of snowballing. Yeah. I'm becoming more aware of like who I am, what I like. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's almost laughable saying that at like 40 some years old, but it's like, uh, there's a lot of men out there like that. Oh, there's a lot. Sure. Oh yeah. I mean, women are a little better at this than men are. Men are kind of stuck in some yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, I, I said early on, you know, it was, I was 45, I'm 52 now, you know, that it was, I mean, it, it takes those traumatic moments like that. If, if you're a, if you're a learner, if, if, if you have a growth mindset that you're trying to, to become better every day, you know, you, it, it took that, that my divorce, that second one for me to, to understand that it was like, wow, there was things in this that were common. In my first marriage, like I, I need to get this figured out. Yeah. It wasn't this circumstantial in that first situation. It's me. Yeah, that's good you did that because a lot of men don't a lot of people don't yeah. in general they make the same mistake they don't address them and addressing your shit is really hard work yeah because yeah. you're basically opening yourself up it's like young shadow work where essentially if you do the shadow work correctly it's difficult mm-hmm. yeah but if you don't do it correctly it's relatively easy and the same thing with therapy and self-work if you do it correctly it's going to be a little painful at times oh it's yeah, yeah. it's not easy digging deep no. so i essentially when i started going back to therapy i gave my guns to my business partner and said keep my guns for a while you know it's just in case i don't i guess in really hard spots i don't want to screw up and blow my fucking brains out <laughs> i laugh at saying that but it's you know still true yeah. but uh so i'm like there's gonna be points in time where it's gonna get rough because mm-hmm. if you're dealing with i'm just tired of the ups and downs I mean, you go through this phase and you just like crash to earth. And I'm like, I can't have this anymore, man. It affects my life too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I haven't like, I mean, honestly, I haven't really felt extreme joy in a long time. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, you kind of lose that. And I kind of want, I want that back. Yeah. So I'm working to get it back. When, when did you feel it first time? I mean, you know, I felt when I was younger, obviously, I think. But it's like, you start after you see so much darkness in life, you kind of mm-hmm. lose that. What, what describe it for me what was joy when you were younger i don't even remember just man. carefree and just not, carefree like just, just living life as it is yeah yeah and i mean obviously when you get adult things change obligations running a business oh, i mean yes like take care of your shit yeah but if you don't make time yeah. nurture the joy yeah and honestly like the one impulse buy i never regret i really am happy i did was buying a forced motorcycle yeah which is how we met we met yeah. down at the blip motorcycle shop yeah, yeah that okay. was a four thousand dollar impulse buy my first bike and it's brought me on a day probably the most joy i've had in something inanimate ever wow because it's like you go out there and it's like and i told somebody the one day is i've always struggled with being present i multitask my ass off uh-huh and i can do 20 things at a time not always productively but i can right and on a bike you can't it's right one, it's right. one thing my uh, phone is on complete silent mode or ride mode drive mode whatever i'm focused on the road it's just me and the sensation uh, yeah that's, that's cool. why i don't want a bike i can put somebody else on uh-huh. i want that's just me right if, like 
want to ride with me, you can show a fucking bike. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> number one, I don't want to be distracted. Number two, I don't want to get an accident and have to be responsible for someone else's life. Mm-hmm. If I yeah. get killed, it's one thing. Somebody else dies, yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So that even like I was I never thought I'd be the guy to like extreme speed in the bikes. I'm always like, that's just reckless. And I've been hitting some pretty good speeds on it. And it's like, it's risky. Yeah. But it's also extremely exhilarating. Mm-hmm. And then like, I'll just let out like a big scream while I'm doing it. It's like, <laughs> of course, this is in Germany on the Autobahn. Of yeah, course, everybody. Of course. <laughs> right. This is Sorry, not here. Kansas State Troopers. <laughs> right. I may have hit 125 on 35. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Man, well, these like, potholes aren't good for the motorcycles oh for Fuck's sake. This might surprise you guys, but I, I had a uh, I had a 600 Katana, Suzuki Katana. Oh, things, so nice. And I had a yeah. 750 GSXR. Oh, oh, you had a Jixxer? Yep. Yeah. Those things move. Yeah, they were fun. That, I, I didn't really, I guess I forgot about the Jixxer. I knew about the Katana. Yeah. The G, those GSXRs are. Yeah, they are. They were, they, they, they was fun. What, they, what, what, when was this? What? Probably when I was 23, 4, 5, somewhere Dude. around in there. Yeah. And you were here local? Yeah. Do you realize that we could have rode together? Yeah. We may have. I, I had a uh, ninja. Oh, okay. I did. The that would have been blue awesome. One. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm I used always, to cruise Metcalf with a bunch of friends. I I, uh, so I can look back. Timmy and I have talked about this many times. I've looked back on my life, and I can tell you, you know, the the two to three real, you know, instrumental times of my life you know what what are, what are those for you you've had so such a an experience in life but what what do you feel like you know if if timmy and i ever oh, want to write a, a biography on jay ashman what what are the what are the what are the moments that we're going to go back and, and really dive into that okay. said this is who made him who he is today it's actually kind of easy uh believe it or not uh, my dad died in my arms i was 15 years old that was incredibly instrumental but but you weren't close to him though. no but it was uh it was a I was so goddamn angry before that or then then it was like i i i never forget that day ever mm. i mean my dad was a hunter and i hunted back then with him even though i didn't really like it uh and that was the first day of buck season in pennsylvania mm, so at the time we were my brother and i my mom was like you guys go hunting you know it's like three two three o'clock in the morning my brother wakes me up and he's like we gotta go to the hospital dad's not gonna make it so go to the hospital and all his sisters are around in bed, my mom and stuff like that. And he's struggling. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can't breathe. He's like gasping for air. Apparently a blood clot, more the ravaging cancer broke off into his lung and it's going to kill him. He's going to suffocate for death, but he can't operate in him because he's so goddamn weak right now that it would kill him if once they put him under. So they essentially drugged him up to relieve the pain and just going to, Make him comfortable and yeah. So I laid in bed next to him and held him. And then woke up and I saw a tear run out his cheek. And then I looked up and I'm like, Dad, Dad. And then the doctor came in and pronounced him dead. Wow. So I got up and punched a hole in the wall in the hospital and ran. And that was like, I was angry yeah. and that was like started the whole downhill spiral for me mm-hmm. with like just being full of rage and i was already angry enough as it is back then mm-hmm. but that was like the trigger another one obviously i was moving to new york okay good man another one was moving to new york and just being in a city 
December 4th, 1982 was the first day I went to New York City. And you probably, it's a very weird thing to remember. I remember what the fuck I was wearing. It was uh, like a brownish, tannish plaid button-down shirt. I'm like eight years old, dude. Keep in mind. Yeah. We went there on a bus trip, my mom and I. And went up to the top of the Royal Trade Center, top of the Empire State Building, Statue of Liberty. You were walking around the crown of Statue of Liberty. And you could see the entire island of Manhattan from that crown. And it was a warm day. It was like in the 70s. It was freakish. And I'm wearing an old-school Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles jacket. <laughs> okay. And was, uh, I remember looking over at crime saying, wow, I'm going to live here one day. Hmm. And I did. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. like, that was the goal. And going there was like everything I ever dreamed of. You know, just. Did you know anybody up there? Because you that's when you would have. I knew like one person. Basically, I mean, I had friends there, but it wasn't like. So, how'd you make the transition? Just, just did it. I just did it. Just pretty much decided to do it. And how old were you then? Uh, I was shit. Just roughly. It was right after I left that skinhead shit. So probably like 2003. Yeah. So I was 2002. So I was what? In your late 20s. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So why was that? What What was so impactful about that moment? No, because uh, just the fact that you were able to the fact do that I was something. able to do it, and I succeeded there. Uh huh. Like you, know? you put your mind to it earlier, yeah. and then now you're living it. Yeah, now I live it. Was like my dream place to live, and so mm-hmm. it came. It came true. That's cool. And the other one was the recent divorce, because I actually married her because I wanted to. It wasn't because I was anything else, but I wanted to. Uh huh. First two marriages were definitely not ideal. This one just went bad. We communicated poorly with each other. Yeah. And that has ramifications across the board between emotional connection physical connection everything yeah and me and timmy talked about this before so i'm not going to go into it too much in the podcast but she's a she's a good person she really is you know i have my issues with her but she's not a bad person yeah are you guys still friends uh not really we we're cordial but we obviously we're not gonna be friends no reason for us to be really yeah but uh but that marriage got screwed up. You know, my mental issues came rushing to the forefront because we got married in 2017. And 2018, when I came out publicly about my past, and then that trauma was a fucking floodgate. Okay. So dealing with that was not easy. What What was the catalyst for you to come out? Was it therapeutic well, or? Well, I, I figured it was kind of therapeutic. And I kind of need to do it. And I was also didn't want somebody else to find out about it. And oh, okay. before I came out, because yeah. cancer culture is in full swing and it's a real thing. And I don't want to be like, well, this guy's that fucking skinhead. Oh my God. Yeah. Right. You know, I figured I'm going to come out about it on my terms. I'm going to say the truth. I'm going to be open about it. And I'm going to say, and I did. Yeah. And most people were just like, they were remarkably forgiving. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of surprised me. Yeah. And that was hard. You know, I was scared shitless about that one. I was really scared because you don't know how people are going to react. Yeah. It's not like telling people, oh, yeah, I used to I used to rob cars. Right. It's like, no, I used to be involved in a fucking white supremacist gang. That's a different animal. Yeah. yeah. I think people will forgive murder faster than that, yeah. I thought. Yeah. Which is interesting because I saw in one of your pictures, you've got a Black Lives Matter flag hanging. Yeah. from. So you're very, very open to all those. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I am. I march with them in Oklahoma City. You know, I'm pansexual. I mean, think about my life now, my life then. Old me would hate the new me, mm. honestly. Yeah. But you love who you are today. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm happy with who I am. I'm really happy who I am. I mean, yeah, could I be 
improve mentally, yeah. I mean, I deal with my own demons. Yeah. But overall, I really love who I am. What uh, What is it? What I mean, I I always felt arrogant saying this. Timmy and I was talking about this. I mean, there's, you know, we have a similar trait and and probably why we like ourselves, you know, and, and I could say, what is, what is it you love about yourself? When you really deep I mean, down, I, I mean, I, deep I, down at the core. I am one relentless motherfucker, period. I do not quit. Which is why you make a good entrepreneur. Man, I, I just, I will push myself to the brink. And if I fail, I fail. If I succeed, I succeed. Why, why doesn't that, I saw the relentless tattoo. What it, why, why doesn't that relentlessness get translated over into relationships? That can also be a, a bad trait in relationships too. You know, relationships are very much, a compromise and a partnership yeah and i'm also a very extreme person and yeah. also it's hard for me to relinquish control and i've gotten better at that for sure but and i also back then i wasn't really the most mentally stable person in the world either yeah that's why i say with you know divorce from sarah you know that was heartbreaking even though we saw it coming and it was something that we both expected i think it was tough because uh essentially it was a relationship that should never have failed yeah and it did yeah and so what 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 how are you different today because of that specifically yeah i was forced i was forced to fix my shit i mean that was like the callous and me like saying i gotta fix my shit the it's, mental side of things yeah, i can't yeah. be this way i can't because i really did love her and i really care for her as mm -hmm. a person which, you know it's just when you lose someone like that because you guys communicate terribly mm -hmm. you know it's fault just fall all over the place for that one but yeah. i can't answer for her fault it's only mine yeah i don't want to repeat that with anybody else i don't want to make someone else feel like i can't communicate with them yeah so i have to be i have to under, like understand my trauma what i'm going through my attachment issues how i communicate with people you know how i yeah. react I mean, i'm extremely reactive like and i have to be careful how i react and it's like even arguing with men my primal instinct is once a man gets live with me i want to break his fucking jaw can't do that because you're going to jail yeah so i have to learn how to communicate with people so i don't feel like i'm gonna smash your face yeah. with a fucking baseball bat now it sounds a little shitty in the podcast but that's the shit that goes through your head yeah yeah or it's like well that that was a reality for you at some yeah, point like my, my, that's my, not for most people but like it I, was yeah. for you like my thing was like i always said it's like once somebody aggressively approaches me the fight already started yeah it's my job to continue it or to walk away yeah so when you look at that that was your mindset for a long time it was like it's a it's a yeah. hell or be killed type of situation and you don't there's no room for dip diplomacy and that kind of stuff it's either you you leave or you're fighting or something else and that's what you have to do so when that becomes habitual mindset over time every argument that you have is catastrophized in your head. Mm -hmm. and How do you use You've used that word a couple of times. How do you define it? Well, essentially like thinking the worst. Okay. okay. Like, you know, you got into a fight, you hate me. Like, you know, I want to leave you or you're going to leave me. Why are you with me kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, that's, that's not good. Yeah. And that can be in any kind of life, right? Like you lose your job. I'm going to be homeless. Right. I'm not going to have my, uh, and you just go off the deep end. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's actually pretty common. And that comes from something that made you feel that way yeah something in your life happened or a situation in your life happened to make yeah. you feel that way that's not something people are born with right you know yeah. like everything like the whole nature versus nurture debate with psychology 
you know, both are instrumental in your psychological upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. And both shape you the way you are. Yeah. And in my case, both shaped me the way I was. Yeah. What are the, a lot of our listeners that listen to Timmy's podcast are men and just, they enjoy the, just the fact of men aren't vulnerable like we are. And, and Timmy and I are confident in ourselves and we're willing to talk about a lot of stuff. Yes. But, and so I, I preface that by asking this question, what, and this isn't about the relationship you had with your ex, Sarah, I think you said, this is more of just us understanding you as a man and, and right. you specifically as Jay, but what was it that you and her had that was so unique that you, you, you hadn't experienced before? We just, uh, had really good mutual interest together at first, you know, our sexual chemistry was really damn, was really good. Jimmy uh, knows all about that. <laughs> obviously I, I, you know, sex is important to me. It always has been. And I'm pretty sexual as a person in general. So we've got another one right across the table there, Timmy. <laughs> so that can also be a good thing and bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the bad part of it is if you feel like you're not performing as well as you should or things don't click as they should, it fucks with your head a little bit. Yeah. Physically or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It happens. I was like, yeah. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. Oh, well, we really were. Really <laughs> Trust me, I'm 52. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm both, going through that. It's, and we're both like, it's emasculating. Yeah. yeah. Very. And we're both like extremely attractive people. I mean, she's a 10. I'm attractive. But, you know, people look at us. You're like, a nine, no, a 9.9. Yeah. We'll, we'll let her have the advantage <laughs> just by a little bit. So people are like, wow, that's a really hot couple. And it's like, that's a point of pride. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, you were a power couple. Yeah. It sounds shitty to say that, but it's true. But, you know, superficially it was there, but depth wise, it got lost. And that's the shit that really matters. Yeah. yeah. So it makes you think it's like, all right, well, my entire life, I, you know, always tried to like judge ratio by how people look. And that's not healthy. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. And that's not the way to do things. You had to, had to rethink that mindset. There's a lot of work yeah. I had to do. And that's why, like, divorcing her was really eye opening. Even though it was, and I, I didn't really take a divorce that bad. I mean, it wasn't like I was super sad about it or crying my ass off over it. You know, it was it it was the one actually the most healthy relationship break I ever had mentally. Okay, but it was also eye opening for me, saying I got to work on my shit. Yeah, because yeah. I'm really big on self improvement. For and, guys, for guys like us three, we we have a lot of confidence in ourselves. That you give us something, we'll we feel like we can handle it, or you know, have. And for me. I I'm a learner. So, you know, for, to me, the fact that when I got divorced, I was like, how can this be happening to me? Like yeah. I'm, you know, and, and, and so, and you realize that your own shit is not together and you caused it. Right. And that's even, that's even worse because you think you feel like you're living life and doing things right. And you're trying to be a good person. And then you realize that you've gotten, you've gotten off by a degree or two. Yeah. And yeah. over time, that's really become a problem. And then you look back and you're like, wow, there's a big gap here. And the gap is, you know, obviously there's, it's, it's mutual and there's things on both sides, but, but it's, it's humbling at that because you realize that you've gotten yourself in this place. And now it's like you've gotten the rug pulled out from underneath you and you, you're, you're there in an open, empty space and you stand there naked, naked, vulnerable, vulnerable. And you got to go figure yeah. it out. And vulnerability is hard. Like I started the men's group on Facebook that Timmy's in called Men in Unity. And I originally started that because 
as a man, we know how men are, and we don't often allow vulnerability in ourselves because we've we're conditioned from our childhood to not be that way. And that takes effort to break down. Yeah. And I'm trying to give, I attempt, I think I've been a pretty good job at that group so far. I'm pretty sure I am. People like it. Where I'm giving men the space to talk about their vulnerable shit. And a lot of men have opened up in there. Yeah. There's some really good stuff. And it's pretty touching, actually. And I'm happy with it because essentially it's, it's painless and it's easy. But, you know, like men have to support each other, or you support each other. Whereas allow the space to be vulnerable. Because vulnerability implies, like vulnerability, the reason why we're so afraid of that, because it, it makes it easy to be hurt. Yeah. And it, we're also taught when we're kids that being vulnerable and showing emotion is a sign of weakness. That's not true. But when you're vulnerable to somebody you care about, they can potentially use that against you in a way, yeah. especially someone you love, like a woman or a partner or whatever. Right. That's a hard thing to do. And vulnerability for me, I can write about my vulnerabilities really fucking easy. Like I can, I can, I'm a very, I'm a very good writer. I know mm -hmm. that I've been paid professionally to write. Do you have a blog or something? Yeah, I have a couple of them. My webpage and also my Medium blog, which is a lot more serious shit. Some of the Medium blog articles would definitely be like, holy shit, kind of shocking. <laughs> like I have one title, One Day I Will Kill Myself, it says. And, and that wouldn't clickbait? No, it's true. Because <laughs> one day, because honestly, one day I will. Yeah. And people would be like, oh my God. But it's like, yeah, you'll read it and you'll understand. Yeah. yeah. It's not like, you know, depression. It's more like, I'm going to die on my fucking terms. Right. Okay. You know, kind of thing. And I mean that. I mean, I have no issue with someone doing that. Yeah. But so the, the, it's basically finding a space for men to allow themselves to be vulnerable with each other and yeah. to support each other. Because, you know, they have to do that to become enlightened human beings. Yeah. Like I'm a psychology major too. So you know, the path to enlightenment is difficult. Yeah. And men make it harder by not allowing that path to open up. And vulnerability is one of the best ways to get there. Because if you're vulnerable with yourself, if you're, if you're allowed to talk to be vulnerable with how you communicate with people, now I become vulnerable to yourself. And that's the most important thing to be vulnerable about. Oh. You're honest with yourself. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's that's not easy. That's, um, the, that's the biggest challenge right there. Yeah. yeah. Because you are just born to, to protect yourself. Yeah. yeah. So if you're basically opening up your own shit to yourself and being brutally honest with who you are, you can essentially prophetically move mountains yeah absolutely i think vulnerability is key i mean i love brene brown we've talked about her yep. quite a bit yep and um but for men it seems to be pretty difficult it's an interesting dynamic right because in order to survive and wake up and and be who you are and have an identity you still have to be tethered to something and you're tethered to your your stories of the past your memories your your hopes your dreams i mean the way that we all dress is is a manifestation of yep. who how we see ourselves and things right yeah true but yet you also have to have this competing side that says you got a lot of stuff wrong about who you think you are and you in and i always you know tell my kids or you know i said i'm you know i want to say 90 percent you know or 100% right or something, or no, 90% right, but I'm sure, not sure 85% of it's probably wrong or something. I don't remember what the yeah. whole saying is, but the point is, is that, you know, you have to believe both sides. You got to realize what am I doing wrong, but yet you, you got to wake up and also believe that your beliefs are right. Yeah. Because you can't just be untethered 
Right. That's just like you're out in space floating around with nothing. You still have to be tethered to the ship. Yeah. And that ship is your beliefs and who you were and raised, you know, Timmy, you having a sister that, that died and, you know, an overdose and just all, you know, your family upbringing, your religious up, you know, your, your marriage to Janet. I mean, all those things, they speak into who you are and how you see the world today. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of truth to those things, but there's also a lot of things that you don't know what 10% is not right. 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 And right. that's super hard. Yeah. And a lot of people don't get that right. They just want to defend all of who they are and they're just not willing to, you know, put the forks down instead of the forks up in the dishwasher. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Like some, we've talked about this before. It's like some people, like you can be in a, in a group setting and you can at least now this is might be my judgmental mind, but I'm thinking, wow, that person does not realize they're not picking up on social cues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're, they're talking to the waitress too much and too long and too aggressive, like, oh, so easy or easy. whatever, like, the, you know I mean? Like as an outsider, you're like, oh yeah, keep it short. Like uh -huh. you're, 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 you know, and I'm guilty of it too. You know, I'm guilty of it too. We don't see our own shit as, as right. clearly. Um, but you know, it's, it's always easier to but look at that. Yeah. You know? Right. You know, it's like the picture I saw someone had taken a, a candid picture of me. And I remember I literally, when I saw the picture, I was like, damn, I'm not as handsome as I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I have a pretty healthy view of myself yeah. and what I look like. Yeah. Or and what about those the, pictures when you take pictures and someone says, you look great, yet you think you look terrible. Yes. And they're like, this is a great picture of you. That's real. Yeah. I, you're like, you think I look like I, that? Exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I look good in right. that picture. I'm not posting that picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, two things. We are our own worst critics, number one. Yep. And number two, this is classic Jungian psychology. We hate the traits in others that we don't like in ourselves. Uh -huh. Yes, yeah. that is so true. Yeah. Like, man, that motherfucker talks too much. And we're like, wait. <laughs> Right. We're like, wait, that's me. We're, we never, <laughs> right. we never see it in ourselves, but when you do see it, it's like, oh shit. Yeah. yeah. That's me. I'm a fucking douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they say, right? They I mean I've talked about this that you we judge others by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intent. Right. Exactly. And and, and that's, that's so yeah. That's so damn true though. So why didn't mean it that way? It was like, well, but you did it that way. Exactly. <laughs> right. So why can't you get my meeting? You know, right. hey, I wasn't I didn't mean any harm by it. Right. I've done that so many times. <laughs> and I always say, I've had to learn this in marriage, right? I always say, well, that's not what I, I meant. And, and that's yeah. like, so now I say, I know that's what I said, you know, or, yeah. but, but it, this is, I, I need to say it differently. Yeah. And <laughs> like, come on, communication is hard. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, communication is basically talking to someone else's language. They understand you. Yeah. Yes. That's a very primitive way of saying it, but essentially it's true. Cause if we talk to people how we want to be talked to, that may not be the way they want to be communicated with. Yeah. So right. having to adapt your communication style for somebody else, like a love language, the same damn thing. Yeah. It's like you may like touch and words of affirmation, but somebody else may like gifts. Yes. I'll be honest with you. If somebody likes gifts, I'm not gonna be with them because I do not, <laughs> I fucking hate gifts. Yeah. I'm like, I buy my own shit. You can buy your own. Shit. <laughs> I mean, I'll buy you a little presents here and there, but you want a fucking Louis Vuitton purse? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true though. I mean, if one person could say something and I would take it differently than you and, yeah. you, and you know, we'd all hear it just a little bit different. I'd be like, yeah, you hear me say, I don't think he meant that at all. I think he was right. just saying it. And you're like, oh, okay, well, right. you know, just giving you a little different perspective on it. Which is probably why we, we have, you know, four different gospels and, and not one. Right. That's, that's a whole other topic. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know how to 
to land this one, but I'm certainly interested in in moving to that other segment on on Satanism and stuff. Yeah. That, that's certainly interesting, but it's certainly a, a segue from this conversation. Yeah. So we get to segue because we got like about 10 minutes left. Okay. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. What was the draw with the Satanism? Well, I was uh, I used to be a Christian, obviously, and then uh, I left that because logically I can't reconcile it. And I don't believe in a monotheistic viewpoint whatsoever. I don't believe in the Bible as anything but a work of fiction. That's essentially, I think all religion is meant to control that was all written by cultural norms meant to control the populace. People can believe what they want personally. I'm not going to judge anybody's individual faith unless they're use it for a weapon. The ones you do, you know, I wish to worse upon you. Yeah. But, uh, d d define real quick to me what Satanism is. Cause there's oh, probably a lot. Of, well, I'm, I'm sure a, I have a, a lot few, of, it's a few different viewpoints. I mean, there's atheistic Satanism, which is the satanic temple, which uses Satan as a symbol of rebellion and individuality also the church of satan which is atheistic as well who's very similar in a viewpoint but they don't do anything with social justice whatsoever so so eight it seems like it seems like it's uh it's uh what's the when they contradict uh whatever it, yeah well basically but, but i'm like if you if you're atheist you don't believe in a god but yet right. you believe in the but is no, are you replacing they, god they, with satan no they don't believe in anything they don't believe in any spiritual being whatsoever okay so it's satan's just, just a term it's not it's a person a, it's, a, it's a concept that's a concept okay gotcha. then you have theistic satanism which believes satan is actually okay a, a deity that you worship uh i'm not a theistic satanist per se would those same people sorry to sorry to interrupt right. would those same people that believe that satan is a is like a deity yeah also it, also say that the bible isn't true because yes, i'm like but, because, but where else do they get the concept of satan yeah now, here's the thing about that i can explain that really quickly the victors write the history. The victors write the history. Remember that, okay? Yeah. yeah Who really won World War II? Yeah. Russia, essentially. They were the ones that came in and did most of the damage to the German Empire. America was there kind of like as a assist. However, you ask anybody in America, America won that war. Mm. Because the victors essentially write the history. Mm -hmm. And even though you know, we were the ones that essentially were the catalyst the Russia doing a thing or like that, we helped them out. Mm -hmm. But Russia was fighting multiple fronts at that time. And we bombed Japan, not because we wanted to end the war, because Japan already ready to surrender. And Truman was like, well, fuck you anyway, I'm gonna drop a bomb. That's essentially the real story. So Christianity is a victims. They are right behind Islam, the dominant religion in the world. I'm not even sure the exact numbers. It could be past Islam by now. I have no idea. But according to the Bible, history satan was a fallen angel who defied god mm -hmm. which is lucifer essentially so lucifer is a morning star he's the bringer of light the god of the angel of music angel of beauty you know he was the one that defied god so the bible is written from the point that there is a good and evil mm -hmm. in reality there is no good and evil it's all shades of gray yeah so the concept of satan as a christianity they must have somebody that, that is must have an enemy they, right they must have every religion in the world yes has an antagonist yeah everyone yeah. that's what makes the drama or yes. the story yeah it's all leviathan type creature it's all my have some have a massive being that is like there to wreck your shit. yeah satan is that one for christianity yeah it's come to steal and kill and destroy yeah so with basic satanism isn't really about guys about like He's been mis he's basically been misconstrued throughout history. This is who he really is. Mm. Demonolatry, what I do, basically you're worship essentially to worship of demons. Okay. 
But, but define demon for me. Well, like Belial, Lucifer, Baphomet. So, so real individual. Yeah, de- like, de- but de- they're actually historically like Baal, stuff like that. So, historically, so why do you believe in them but not a god? Because I don't believe that there is a spirit that controls us. I believe that demon, like paganism, stuff like that, demonolatry, we work with them and we walk with them in this world, but they don't have dominion over us. So why couldn't that same concept be translated over onto the good side, like of you know a, a figure like Jesus or Yahweh or Je- well, you know? because that because only because it's it's, it's a question it's basically handcuffed by biblical translation that they are the king of the world. It's, it's God's will. He gave us free will. You know, if you like the concept of heaven is subservient essentially. Like if you are a good person and believe Jesus died for your sins, you will go to heaven and praise Jesus for praise the Lord for the rest of your life. You lose your free will in heaven. Yeah. You basically you're gonna be you're gonna be one of like you're gonna be singing praise to God your whole entire life yeah. and bow and bend the knee. Right. That's fucking subservient. Period. That's not me. It, it, I, I have a, an alternative for that though. I'm, I'm I hope I get it right. I mean, it's just it's just an idea though, because I see what you're saying, but I guess I would see that as if if man is designed to to find the highest joy or desire in himself in in what we put our attention toward right then then me worshiping the highest of beings would give me the most satisfaction in the end you you yes. kind of see where i'm going I, a little bit so I, it's not like i'm under this power where it's like get down and work it's it's i'm doing it out of free will because right. of and that's where personal choice comes in handy mm-hmm. which is why i firmly believe in that like i'm not gonna the, 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 i'm not gonna look down at a christian who really surely believes that as long as not using the religion for a weapon that's, right. that's a caveat right but if you really believe that man have at it do your thing enjoy it mm-hmm. but for me and my my belief system my character my principles there's no way in hell i can do that right like i believe man is their own god and I believe that, like, hail thyself is something, you know, like. So is yours more, you would say, more of an ideology? Of yeah, just more of an ideology. It's not really a religion. It's like a, it's a path. Okay. Where it's, you know, it's rituals that you have. Yeah. You know, it's like paganism. You have rituals. You have things you do. I have yeah. a little altar in my house, yeah. my apartment, with all my shit on it. Like you, you do? Yeah, I have a Baphomet statue. I got a Belial. I got Belial's symbol tattooed in my hand. So it's like that's my demon of choice, and he has certain characteristics that are, you know, in the Ars Goetia, which is also lesser key of Solomon. Was a book written twice, I don't know how many years ago, where like people describe these demons and describe their traits and how you venerate them, so to speak. So for me, it's very attractive because it's an alternate thing because I've experienced some stuff in life that you really can't quite put a finger on. Mm-hmm. Sure, and. I'm not going to be that arrogant to say that there's nothing else out there. Right. Because the same thing as humans saying, well, aliens don't exist. I'm like, come on. In a universe this goddamn big, yeah, if, right. you, if you think we're alone, that is some arrogant ass shit. Yeah. Right. The same thing with the spiritual world. What is else is out there? Nobody really knows yeah. right now. Right. But I'm not going to close that door. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If I'm right, I'm right. Yeah. What does the, what does the Christian get wrong about Satanists? Well, they think that we are evil, that we have no moral code, that we drinking cats' blood, yeah, shit we, like we, that. We, 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 <laughs> sac- we sacrifice animals. Now, there are there are yeah. going to be fucking wackos like that. Honestly, there's also wackos in Christianity that, oh, that, yeah, exactly, that yeah. bomb abortion clinics for God's sakes yeah. and kill people. But 
they get a lot wrong. Like that we just like that. Like that we're just evil people that we have no morality. We have our orgies that we yeah. have black masses sacrifice bros. That shit is fucking TV. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like propaganda. Yeah. It's like yeah. your brain on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, most right. of us are just regular ass people who just happen to have a different spiritual path. I mean, they happen to have what? Different spiritual path. Oh, That's right, it. Right. Most, I mean, you look at me, you think, yeah, he's a tattoo guy, but you don't, I mean, yeah, I wear a pentagram on my neck and I have certain tattoos that signify it, but it's not like I'm walking. I mean, I have a moral code. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't look at you and think Satanist. No, no. I mean, I mean, we all, we all have our individual moral code, but the thing is I don't put my moral code upon somebody else. Yeah. I'm not going to tell somebody it's the way you should live your life. It's like, dude, that's your personal choice. As long as you're not hurting anybody else in the process. Which yeah. is why you have no problem then with Christianity, yeah. as long so, as they don't weaponize it. Yeah, if you don't like try to pass laws with your Bible, it doesn't work that way to me. Sure. Don't try to like, you know, preach to me. Don't try to convert me. Try to convert me, I'll call you kindly. Look, I'm into this. Do it again. My gloves are coming off. What what, yeah. what made the transition to you when you wanted to start wearing the the necklace? Because because you're you're kind of like, don't put it in my face, but yet you see that as probably part of like your fashion or identity. Did yeah. you just like the symbol of it? Or well, was to it... me, it's like, you know, Christian wear crosses versus wear faith and wear mine. Yeah. Simple as that. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I respect that. I see a Christian wearing a cross, I'm cool with it. Yeah. I mean, you should be proud of what you are. Don't hide behind it. You, you get, let's put you, you go to a church on, on a Sunday, any particular Sunday, and you hear a message. Do you get, do you get things out of it? I mean, Timmy has. There's a lot of lessons in the church and Bible you can take out of it. Like I said, one yeah. of most men I respect my life. And Timmy life. said that, you know, time, yeah. you know. Yeah. One, like, like my former pastor, I, I, I speak very highly of him. Yeah. And he gave me a lot of lessons in life. And he's a man of God. Yeah. And I know my, some of my friends are ministers and pastors, and they're men of God. Yeah. I respect them immensely as people. And everything in life could be a lesson. Yeah. This has been this has been fascinating. We're gonna have to have we're gonna have to have Jay back. Oh yeah. J Dog, J Bone. J Dog. J Dog. No, I'm sorry. Let's not make special things. Let's not make special things. We're gonna mean girls that way now. Stop making J Bone happen. It's not gonna happen. We start seeing hats and t shirts all over the city here in a few weeks. I, I would I would completely blame you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I never should go on that fucking show. I mean, God damn it, Lance. We'd be, we'd be stoked. We'd be like, we never knew this many people were listening. I know. This is fucking <laughs> like, awesome. Shit, we got so many listeners now. <laughs> right. right. Well, Jay, seriously, man, it was good to have you on. Yeah, we'll have to have much. you back. Yeah, and definitely. and uh, yeah, I've enjoyed meeting you. And, and I'm excited about my journey with, you know, it's funny. I, I really do believe in divine, you know, mm -hmm. uh, meetings and divine connections. And, you know, here I am meeting up with some other people down there for a, a motorcycle meetup and having some coffee and, and there's Jay, you know, and he's got tattoos. I've got tattoos, you know, and we started chit chatting. And his bike was cool. He was looking at my bike thinking it was cool. And you know, that it's all that yeah. kind of how guys, you know, bond over i like your bike that's loud that's badass you know that's, <laughs> yeah because yeah. <laughs> my bike I, I don't know you've never heard my bike my i've heard oh i've heard your bike oh, okay it's oh, insanely yeah. it's loud. loud that's right you have yeah and then that you know led to exchanging information and and yeah. keeping up and then um you know then joining his his gym and it's like i look down at my belly and i'm like enough <laughs> uh, this, I got to stop this yeah. shit. Yeah, it's definitely funny how life happens sometimes. Like, you know, uh, when you put yourself out there a little bit more, it's kind of funny how things open up. Yeah. I and mean, then I do yeah. the guys' night. Oh, yeah. and, you know, we had, we had like, yeah, well, it was great. Like that was eight, a, 10, that was 12 a, guys. That was a there? real fun night, actually. That I mean, was the difference of opinions and diversity yeah. of thought. Yeah. Yeah. We I had, mean, that was, yeah. That was a lot of fucking fun. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking forward to the next one uh, yeah. next month. We do it once a month. Yeah, hey, they're all pretty cool dudes. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Comfort. Yeah. You're right. It's very diverse, very, but everybody's like, you know, rational, good dudes, yeah. but yeah. all very different. Yeah. Yeah. We all respect each other's opinion without getting any kind of like, Heated argument. Right. Oh, absolutely. I'm like, damn, this is so much different than Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what real life is like. That's right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, people are decent here. <laughs> well, I'll say Timmy and I love to get to to know other men that are just, you know, that have a, a depth to them and and are willing to kind of unzip the the soul and, and bear it out a little bit. And and I don't know you very well at all, but but I certainly and I think I probably speak for Timmy as well. You know, I love what I see, man. I, I, I think you're uh uh, profound individual and has something really valuable to give back and, and excited to see what this journey takes you on. It seems like you're well done beyond down the path. And, and certainly I know you'll add a lot of a new flavor into the, the ice cream, you know, section that I didn't have in there before, besides chocolate and vanilla. I don't know. I got something real interesting yeah, now. I'm so flavored. You're like, what the fuck? Right. Right. Kind of like Rocky Road with a bunch right. of other shit in right. there. Right. Shit. Right. A little cookie dough <laughs> on the side. First time you eat it, you're like, I'm not really sure if I like this, but you know what? I'm eating there a scoop. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You end up. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's uh it's been enjoyable and and yeah, definitely enjoying it, man. This is awesome. Thank you guys very yeah. much. Yeah, absolutely. So how how can they uh, stay in touch with you or follow you? Are you on Instagram, social media stuff? Uh, social media is pretty easy. It's uh <laughs> my Instagram name is uh fucking Ashman, but it's, <laughs> but it's F B K I N A S H M A M social Instagram, and my webpage is moto m o t o dot fitness. Okay. Okay. And through that, you can find all my other links in there. You know, like Medium blog. Medium blog is a little deep, yeah. but it's good. It's good stuff if you like the kind of shit. And just you know, follow me around, have some fun, ask me questions. You know, I, I mean, I answer most of my emails as long as I'm not ignorant. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm pretty responsive with that stuff. So yeah. that's pretty much how you find me. F-V-K-I-N-A-S-H-M-A-M on Instagram and moto.fitness on the web. Cool. Yeah. And well, Casey, Casey Barbell. Casey Barbell. Yeah, Casey Casey Barbell. Barbell.com, my gym. Yep. And that's in Union Hill area. Yeah. Super and, cool area. Yeah. And don't expect towel service or Oh, steamer. we actually do have towels. Do you have towels? Okay. Yeah. yeah, we have synths coming with towels, which is a nice thing. So we don't give out towels for free. I mean, we don't give out towels to people like at the front desk, but they're there. Yeah. You yeah. Know, our gym is, everybody that works there is a coach. So we don't have any front staff people just man mm-hmm. the desk, you know, all the way at work. Very there. helpful. Yeah. I mean, Erica is one of our coaches. She's awesome. My co-owner is Sean. He's incredibly good as a coach, very good with numbers, very organized. Thank God. Yeah. Because I'm not as organized as him. You know, Alex is our general manager, fantastic person, been with us since day one at the gym. Okay. How long have you guys been open? Uh four and a half years. Okay. Yeah. And now we have Scott Metcalf, another coach. And it's kind of funny. Erica was a client of Sean's for a long time. She moved here from St. Louis. She used to own a gym. Now she works for us. Wow. Alex, I met here through social media. And we met at Messenger Coffee. I said about opening my gym. He said, dude, I'll definitely join. He joined like literally day one. I opened yeah. the gym and then fell in love with fitness, became a coach. Now he's our general manager. Yeah. Scott Metcalf was a remote client of mine for about three years. I trained him online. His wife's company is based here. They moved here. Now he works for us. That's awesome. So all of our coaches we have relationship with for a yeah. long time. What's uh just real quick, what's the what's the what's your strategic advantage? What's the nuance that you guys bring that that other We are down? a barbell club that's very inclusive, period. Most what's that mean? The strength world and powerlifting and weight is notorious for being a very right wing male dominated industry. 
Mm. And we provide a space for people who don't want that necessarily. Okay. And we don't cater to people like me. Mm. Like, I don't want a gym full of people like me. Like right. I'm, I'm a jock. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a meathead. I'm a lifer. Lifting to me is an obligation, uh-huh. not self-care. I don't want people like, I don't want a gym where people like me. I'm a pain in the ass. Yeah. I want professionals. I want people who look at it as an, a way to enhance their life. Yeah. I want people. Professionals who, in the sense of the professional world. Like yeah. A, or a, people who don't feel safe at a gym because they're either transgender yeah. or lesbian or gay or they're a little different. Right. Or if you're new to lifting. Like if you're new to lifting, dude, come into our place. We'll hook, we'll take care of you. We'll make sure you feel welcome. Yeah. You know, we have a very strict rule with like harassment. Yeah. You know, none of that. We don't tolerate that shit. Like there's one strike, you're out policy. You make someone feel uncomfortable, you're fucking out, period. Mm, yeah. And we enforce that heavily. We had to enforce it one time in somebody. I mean, when I followed that girl in the bathroom, I thought that was the guy's <laughs> bathroom. <laughs> If she says anything, <laughs> we're gonna kick, we're gonna kick yeah. somebody out one time for breaking that rule, and it was, it was immediate. Yeah, you know, and it was the only time you ever had a problem with that. Yeah. Well, like you said, we hang our shit in our gym. We have an American flag that's blown at FOB Tillman in Afghanistan. That was a oh. gift to me from a friend of mine. Okay. That's a very meaningful flag to me, and what it stands for. And you know Pat Tillman's story. Yeah. And what happened to him was tragic. And I said I respect that flag. Yeah. We have. A gay pride flag in the gym you know i'm pansexual we have people in the gym who are gay lesbian and bi whatever and transgender we have a black lives matter flag that can be divisive i don't give a shit. yeah if you yeah. don't like it join somewhere else yeah we all look at it our yeah. gym screams without actually putting it in your face on social media we walk the walk and that's yeah. what people like us yeah yeah that i would say that the, i noticed and just felt like this is an inclusive gym like i feel like literally anybody could come here yeah mm-hmm. and, that's what we want you we know. want people to feel like hey because strength is for everybody yeah. everybody can get stronger period yeah and that's what we base something around like we want to enhance your life by strength training or jacked in 90 days yeah seriously that's what i'm talking about i'm waiting for a before and after photo uh, i'm not posting that before picture. you get that before on until there, buddy. i get the after picture then oh, yeah. i won't mind <laughs> right now i'm not fucking putting that picture up well, i'll blame you <laughs> Yeah, he's like, I saw that. I saw that picture. Yeah. Well, I gotta have got before and after profound. We gotta have that shit. That's that's what sell. That's what sell membership. Yeah, yeah. I sent All him right. the picture of what I used to look like. You know, yeah. I used to look really yeah. good, not as good as he did, but I look yeah. similar. Yeah. And uh, I was like, "Can I get there in ninety days?" He goes, "We'll get you close." <laughs> I was I, like, "Well, fuck, Jay." I, yeah. te- I temper realism there. You know, yeah. I was always like, "Man, affirmations are hard." Yeah, yeah. Michelle, think- my wife, is. Uh, she's able to, to to hold muscle real well it's it but that was interesting to me is she's like part of it is just you have to go with your body type right i mean yeah sure y- you you for example are very lean you're you know but just because i go lift or timmy goes and lift doesn't mean we're gonna we're gonna look just like you we, oh, yeah. our bodies will take on our own transformation and and some people hold muscle differently than others yeah. and that's that's all that's all different than the the magazines and stuff show oh, right I, yeah. I got you said that that's exactly what i tell my people in the gym i'm like don't don't compare yourself with somebody else. It's impossible. That's, right. That's a kiss of death. Yeah. Like I have certain genetic gifts. I played professional rugby. I, you know, I lifted heavy shit for years and yeah. I have genetic gifts. Like we have people who have been in the gym for four fucking years who will never, ever, ever look like me. Right. That's okay. Yeah. They shouldn't. They look yeah. like themselves. Yeah. Be better than what you And they do. probably feel great. Yeah. yeah. That's what your goals matter. If you gain five pounds or 40 pounds of muscle, that's important to you. Yeah. But mm-hmm. don't nobody else that's you yeah it's a uniquely selfish personal task 
And that's, you know, it's funny he says that because that's what, what motivated me to finally, I literally called him and said, I'm signing up. I'm doing it. I sh- went over there the next day, gave him the check because I'm doing this. Yeah. It's because I was, I literally took off my shirt when I was playing disc golf because it was mm-hmm. really sunny out and I didn't want to get sun lines, whatever, tan lines. And when I took my shirt off, I literally looked at myself and I was like, Timmy, you can do better than this, buddy. Like yeah. you can do better than this. Yeah. You have time. You can do this. Yeah. And yeah, the always, next day I signed up. Yeah. I was telling my clients like, you know, it's all about kindness, self-care, like self-kindness is huge. Like if you, you're going to fuck up once in a while, you're going to eat what you shouldn't eat. You're going to eat too sure. much. You're going to have a bad day. You know, don't beat yourself up over it. Yeah. Don't go down a pit where you're like, oh my God, I suck. I can't do this. I'm like, dude, right. even I have bad days. So what the fuck? Yeah. Right. I mean, days I go home and eat like a large pizza and I'm saying, fuck it, whatever. Tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. That's right. It took a long time to cultivate that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But yeah. Cause it's easy to get law in a rut and, and oh, keep yeah. eating pizza. Yeah. That's where I'm at right people now. Are, right? Yeah, people are notoriously <laughs> all enough. And I, I, I can't. This is too hard. It's like, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but you shouldn't beat yourself up over it. Yeah. You it's it's really kind of a, a stream of what we've been talking about, right? It's it's more than just about lifting everything. It's about having a self-discipline and yes. and yeah. living living a code that you have within yourself that yeah. that I do want to take care of myself. I mean, you yeah. know, it's it's a it, that those are the things that make you feel good. It's yeah. not yeah. you know, and temporary reality. It's like you want to go out to dinner with your friends and have something to eat. So be it. Do it. Just right. Be mindful of it. Yeah. Don't eat the entire menu. Right. Like if you go to a cheesecake factory and you look at a calorie count of like a full course meal, it's over oh. 5,000 calories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the only meal for the week. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. 5,000 calories in like one restaurant meal. Yeah. Between appetizer, dessert, and the entree. That's right. insane. Yeah. So people do that on a regular basis. Yeah. So yeah. That's where the problem comes in. It's like, all right, how can you go out to eat and not eat that much? Yeah. I can't. Yeah. So I was doing nachos like almost every night. It's like my yeah. food. Well, nachos are pretty goddamn good. I, they're so good. Like chips and guac. Ooh, That's going to be my uh, cheat meal once a week, dude, but gee, uh, not every day anymore. Chips and guac. I would destroy the shit out of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to puke on guacamole. That's okay. <laughs> Guys, this is great. I, I seriously will have to have him back and, yeah. and dig in this. Maybe do a fitness podcast. That'd be fun. Yeah. Lance, good to see you too, my friend. Oh, you as well, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Appreciate Thank you very it. much. We really appreciate it. Yep. Peace out, everybody.